let's let's start again. So we're going to discuss the position, and like I said, we could take two or three approaches to it. Pretty much based on how much the audience wants to uh, firstly knows the details, and how much they want to get into the details. So, like always, we spoke about the sort of answering questions: Is it the three mahalachim a person can take? Malach of the time, malach of the rush, the malach of the chacham, which means the time is just the question because the person doesn't know really what they're asking. It's just to explain there is an answer and simply what the answer is. The malach of the person is coming to argue has a point to prove, or he's trying to disprove. So you call it the malach of the rasha, and then you have the malach of the chacham, which the person is trying to understand. And therefore, if the if the person is trying to understand, then one has to go into the oymek and try and explain. If the person is trying to argue. You're better off not arguing. You're not going to gain anything. Because lots of times, a question can be answered, and an answer can't be answered. The famous line of the Nitziv, or one of the Tabirim Velazhin, start keeping Shabbos. So he left the Nitziv, and said, what happened to you? So he said, lots of questions on Imunah, and I don't answer them. So the Nitziv said, if you had any questions on Imunah, I could have answered you. But you had no questions, you had answers. And you can't answer an answer. And it's the same thing over here. If someone's coming to argue with you for the sake of arguing, there isn't much to say. You can't, you can... Maybe for the sake of everyone else in the audience, try and explain that there's two sides to look at something, but you're not answering a question. You're arguing with somebody's stated opinion, and they're going to defend their opinion the more you try and attack it, so you don't gain anything by trying to argue with that. Like you see by the Russia. By the Russia, we hack a We don't debate with them whether it's Yisrael Mitzrayim or the Bino Shinnah bin. We just tell them you wouldn't have been part of it. And then there's a time. He doesn't know. And then if that's the case, he doesn't want, or he's not going to process well a lengthy, detailed explanation. And therefore, the easiest thing to tell him is something which is, uh, explains the MS. Like I said last time, we're not trying to confuse the MS. We explain the MS in a way which is simple. Just like by the time in Mitzrayim, what's going on, the <coughs> details, going to all the minutes and the details of the Mitzrayim. The main point is Hashem Dukas Adam Mitzrayim. Okay. okay. So therefore, if we're going to discuss the question of how the creation come about, now, I'm, I'm saying the first, as I started last time, I'm not talking about the age of the universe. It's a separate discussion, and uh, that we have a different matter of how to deal with that. We spoke about it last time. But we're talking about how did everything which was created in the world happen. In other words, do we say that, <coughs> like the Torah says, Hashem created everything? But does that mean Hashem created everything in the form we see it now? And therefore, these things have always been there from the time of creation? And nothing ever, nothing moved, nothing changed. Well, no. Uh, how much credence do we give to the principle that things do change and can change and evolve from one species to another? And given random factors, or randomly, randomly mutate and uh, produce new or different organs or capabilities or whatever it's going to be. So, last time we went straight for the Chacham approach. I want to start with the simple Mahalach first. Which is the time mahalach and we'll build it up. Okay, so simply the mahalach, which is the easiest way to use, to work with this, is the mahalach, which the Midrash says in Pashas Bereshis, in the end of Pashas Bereshis, that there's a kaifer asra v'yakiva, how do you know that Hashem created the world? And his answer was what pretty much today we would rephrase. He says, just like uh, anything which is created with the intelligence of what its functional ability is meant to be. So you see it was created for a reason. It wasn't created for nothing. 
if a person had in mind what he wanted to do and he did it, it's the same thing if you see that the world is created in a functional way, then there's a, you see that there was planned, it didn't happen by chance. Which means, if you've built a system and everything in the system works to a certain goal and everything works with interacts in a perfectly balanced way, so then you see that there's design. Right, so then the simple Nakoda is, is the, today, it's the same idea with the Midrash, so then we'll just give it terminology today, the argument for intelligent design. And that is that you see that things in the Bria work with logic. They're not random and they aren't there for nothing. Right, Where just like if you take apart a car engine, right, and now when I'm trying to put it back together again, I find a few extra pieces. So there's still only those pieces that were here for nothing. And no one's going to say that because it's understood that they weren't there for nothing. If someone bothered to make them and put them in, they're doing something. So by extension, the same argument is going to say that if something exists in the Bria, it's not there for nothing. If, and if you find everything is functional and everything is doing a job, so then the, the simple understanding is it was created to that job and things are meant to interact with each other. The birds are meant to pollinate the trees. I'm trying to explain the system. That if, if the birds are trying to pollinate, it's meant to pollinate the trees, and it's meant to be that ants are meant to be the scavengers that clean the ground, and it's meant to be that the spiders keep the ant population in check, and so on and so forth. It's a very complicated web of interconnected ecosystems which are all functioning perfectly so that we see design. That's the simple first step. If you want to go to the complexity of design, then we can start exploring a little bit how complex cell structures are and how complex various working systems, whether it's the human eye, just as an example, or the DNA strands and how the chromosomes line up and multiply and subdivide. We, we could go that track. Now, why I call this a simple answer is because it explains the point. Does that mean there's no counter-arguments? Or oh, there'll always be counter-arguments, that's not the point so much. The point is, is that, is there any counter-proofs? So on this level, we're going to talk about, uh, can someone prove that there wasn't design? No. No. So if you just want to explain that, what does the terrorist say the world came about? Like I said, on the time level, we're going to say, you see design, and design points to a design. Now, if we're going to take the second step up, and we're going to say that somebody who is not, let's, let's, let's even talk about somebody who's learned evolution, but let's say somebody who's trying to use evolution to promote the fact that he doesn't believe, which a lot of people do. Right? They think that evolution is a riot against Hashem, and that's because this is the proof that they don't have to believe because of evolution. Right? So now, if that be the argument, and there, there are scientists who have written books, We've admitted that this was our reason to try and prove evolution because we wanted to get around the possibility of a creator. So if that's the Russia argument, then there's a very simple counter to that, and that is evolution doesn't answer the most fundamental question, and that is what we call the question of first cause, which means evolution can explain the system once you're starting with various basic ingredients. Right? We call them proteins, call them energy, call them amino acids, call them oxygen, whatever the other elements have to be to start the system, the ball running, so to speak. Where do they come from? Now, what evolutionists say is intelligence seeding by beings from outer space. It's one of the options they say, or something else which comes from a different atmosphere out of our own, whatever it is. To say that's okay, we'll call it Hashem. Let's call him an intelligent being from an outer space who did that. It's, you have nothing else. There's no other explanation for first cause. And therefore, if you're trying to argue that it disproves Hashem, it doesn't disprove Hashem, because all you're saying is a system, once the first, once the first principles are in place, and they, they don't try to define the first one. They'll say it's not science, which is fair enough. I'm happy to say it's not science. But doesn't, uh, what I'm saying is if you do, argument is the Russia argument of you trying to get around the fact that there has to be a bow, you haven't done it. 
because you haven't explained first cause, and science defines itself as not being able to explain first cause. So you're back to Hashem. Yeah. That's, so therefore, if, if that would be the what, what what the point of the discussion of the evolution is, we don't have to discuss more than that. Now, we're going to the Chafim question, which means the person who does understand it and is trying to understand how does it fit together with the Torah. In other words, the evolution claims whatever it claims. And now, so I'm going to repeat again for the benefit of people who claim not to know what it says. In just in one, two lines, the basic points, the Pratim and Pratim Pratim, which I don't profess to be an expert in either, but at least the basic points of the argument, and that is that everything started from the same single cell structures or the same proteins. They developed randomly through millions of possible attempts or we call them mutations of things which could have changed within the internal structure of this initial uh, amoeba or whatever other name we're going to give them. And some changes were beneficial and stayed and some weren't beneficial and died out. And gradually as things changed and developed and became more complicated, so from one cell structures they became other cell structures and from uh, very base life forms they became more primitive life forms, they became more complicated life forms. And basically based on either what they call survival of the fittest, which means the mutations which were more suited for life, or because of various weather conditions which they claim happened and therefore made the conditions more favorable for some species than for others, uh, things like ice ages and glacial warmings and things drying up and things getting wet and whatever it's going to be, you know, to go to all that, that's just, that's just a side story. But the idea is therefore things developed and progressed and changed and uh, all the species we have today came from the same origin, just at various stages of evolutional development. Obviously, that doesn't happen quickly, and if they get into billions of years in order for the soul to take place in, and that's pretty much the theory, and this is a work in progress. That is, it's all random, there's no planning for it, and it continues to happen randomly, and it continues to happen even though we might not be able to see it so well because you know, this takes a long, long time, but you will find uh, deformities here in the creatures of today, and those are the mutations which which they claim are still taking place, and maybe, who knows, in the case of the next few billion years, the man will become a machine, who knows? In other words, uh, things, things, things continue to mutate. That's pretty much evolution theory. And again, I've very vastly oversimplified it, as anybody will tell you, but for the point of what we want to talk about, that's what the idea is. And now the question is, how does that tie up with Horatius that, how does it tie up with Horatius that claims Hashem created everything in the form it is now? In other words, the birds are created as birds, and the fish are created as fish, and mammals are created as mammals, and people are created as people. Okay, so let's not talk about what, uh, like we said, the religion part of what evolution tries to get to, let's talk about the science. And the science will break into four separate categories we tried to do last time, I'll just try and package it differently. Number one is what's the proof? Let's start with the science, talk proof, what's the proof? So, can they prove that things do change? Yes. 100%. Uh, definitely there's a various uh, um, certain aspects of, the, of any living thing which will adapt to its circumstances, will adapt to its environment, which will give it a bit changing its temperature or its coloring or its size or its uh, various other features. That's for sure true. That's what you call microevolution, which means minimal changes with, within a species. And no one's going to deny it because it's something we can see the whole time. Right, they can even predict it, they can, in the laboratory conditions, they can make it happen. So yeah, no one's arguing with microevolution. The question is, can you make the jump from microevolution to macroevolution? Which means, if I see that water turtles can change size or color or the size of their necks or their beaks or whatever else it is, so could the water turtle theoretically, given enough little changes like that, 
over a long enough period of time, turn into a fish, or turn into whatever the next thing on the evolutionary chain is meant to be. Now, this is more a question of putting one thing which we do know with an assumption which we don't know. Assumption which we don't know. In other words, the fact that there's macroevolutionary changes that we can see. The fact that there's macroevolution, well, by, by their own definition, you can never see that because it takes too long. Right? So we can never prove that it happens. But what they can say is, if, if on the along this, if on the macro level it can happen, and it's just a matter of little changes, so then on the macro level, why can't those little changes build up? If you have enough of them, a sequence of a billion little changes, which will get you somewhere big. Right, which is what they do say. Now, I'm going to say the problems with it, and I can't say this is absolute proof against, because you can't prove anything. You're arguing inside. Right, you can't prove for, you can't prove against. So, I'm going to say the three things I said last time. The three, on this argument, of if you can see macroevolution, which is a fact, no one's arguing about that. And I got it's not a theory to Boreshis, because, because Hashem created a min in one way originally, and now whatever reason it's changed slightly to adapt to the world it's in today, that doesn't, the first, the fact, that doesn't disturb the fact that Hashem created the min. Yeah, we don't have a problem with that. People also, people also change. We don't have a cautious anymore. Right? So that we don't have a problem. But is if you're going to argue the logic of is macroevolution the proof to macroevolution? The first, number one is um, the first argument from last time is the statistics. Because if you're talking about a small change, then you're talking about a very localized area and a very small amount which has to change within the cells of the DNA or something for it to to affect that change. If you're talking about a major change, then you're multiplying what the amount of factors and variables have to change by the by the infinite. Because if you're talking about what once you're going out of the very closed box of the, the, the cell structure of this specific being, and you're now extending it to what else it could possibly become, if things are going to change, then you're getting, you bring in infinite possibilities. And if you're going to talk about not one cell, but every cell having to change like that, and not just one idea, but like a whole lot of cells in a string having to change that this organ now is going to work together. Imagine just for example, you're trying to make a hand into a fin or into a wing or whatever it's going to be. It's not just one cell in the finger has to become a, a wing cell. It's every single one all of the time together. So that this, this, the statistician's argument on this was that it's impossible. It, it's this, the, the odds of that happening are what they've calculated, one to 260 or something like that, which is in the trillions. As I said, as many times as you want to try it, it's, it's way beyond the the, possible, the levels of you know, rational possibility. Okay, for a statistician, that's a good argument. The answer to that is, well, it happens. But that doesn't prove anything. Uh, because if it's saying it happens, well, maybe there's a different reason why it happens. In other words, you can't prove that this is what happened because we see there is the result. If you want to argue the thing, well, it happened because it never it wasn't what happened in the first place. So, again, if you, if you want to try and argue it, from the other point of view, there would be Makomis to argue. I'm just giving a reasonable question on the theory. Let's go up first. Let me finish. Let's take the questions. That's number one. Number two, do we need to go that route? Even if Hashem created all the original men, Hashem created fish, and Hashem created birds, and Hashem created animals, and Hashem created people, and now even if you're going to say that they're macroevolutionary changes, and you'll see the difference between the salmons in Norwegia, Norway and the salmons in the South, South China Sea, and you're going to see a difference between birds here and birds there, okay. So we're agreeing to macroevolution. It doesn't uh, argue with the Bria. What's the proof that there was one initial species? Maybe all the initial species are exactly like the Torah says, and except that they, each one within its own species developed differently. Again, there isn't a proof for, there isn't proof against. Now, what they're going to say is, well, we found all kinds of fossils of things which are in between. That's not a right to anything. 
Because all it's showing this from the last time, all it's showing is that there was another species which became extinct. So if there was another species which is not exactly like the elephant of today, okay, it existed. It was another elephant, it became extinct. Tauras became extinct, a lot of animals became extinct. There was no guarantee that animals didn't become extinct. If you want to argue the case for dinosaurs, it doesn't make a difference to the Torah's narrative one way or the other way. There were dinosaurs that became extinct. We'll go the same route. They don't have to be both. We don't have to say they evolved into something else. Now, again, to fit in with their theory of that everything has to start at one point, so they have to go to the next step and say, you see the macroevolution, you have to see macroevolution too. Because otherwise, where did it all start from? So we can bring it down to its amino acid stage, but we don't want to do it on other levels. But there's no guarantee that that's the case. We can work with whatever they know, whatever it is, and we can say there are the species. The story is exactly what it says. Each species was created, right? In the, in the species it was. We don't have to necessarily try to justify how one became the other. So there's no proof to that. Again, can it be argued either way? If you want to. But do you, do you have a riot against the terror? There's no riot against the terror. That's the second point. The third point, and this is, uh, again, something which... Uh, we'll put it in arguments. And that is that there are a lot of... If you're going to work with macroevolution, which means things changed from one species to another species, right? in as many little stages as you're going to try and break it into, there's always going to be the questions that there has to be in a certain stage where there was the, there was the dramatic change. In other words, let's say, just examples that they give, right? we're starting according to their narrative with uh, insects or crustaceans which had an external skull, an external skeleton. At some stage, it has to become an internal skeleton, by a fish, for example, or by an invertebrate, or a frog, whatever it is. The skin goes around the skeleton, but an insect is the other way around. Now, how are you going to, in one stage at a time, yes, break down as many stages as you want, how are you going to turn it around? Or you have something which lives in the air, lives in the, breathes in the air, breathes in the water, whatever it is. So how are you going to break the stage? Suddenly, what it couldn't do before, it can do now. So again, there's, you, can, you can find swaras to try and explain. Well, the main, main proof is there's no proof to this. There's a question. It's a question of the logic. If you want to try and give a amtsa, it's like, you know, you, you're suggesting a possible answer. There could be, that argue. There could be possible answers. If you're asking, is there proof? Is it science? Is this guaranteed? No. No, there's no, there's no, there's no good explanation that proves how this happened. It's assumptions. Okay. That's, a, that's on the point of... Now, the next point, and the next we started talking last time, is the arguments of of cross-dependence, which means things need each other. In an ecosystem to survive, everything needs everything else. If any one aspect of the ecosystem is taken out, then the whole system crashes, right? <coughs> and it could even be that the predator is taken out, but now there are too many deer. There are too many deer means that they eat all the grass. So now there's no grass, now the deer are all going to die of hunger because they're nothing to eat, right? So it has to be a system where everything balances and then there's enough grass and enough deer and enough lines to eat the deer and then everybody's happy. I mean, relatively, as far as the min goes, the system carries on. So what happens if you don't have one of these species in the picture? Right? Let's talk about trees. If you need the birds to pollinate the trees, say so the birds need the fruit, the trees need the birds, and if you're going to say these things evolve at different stages, so how did the system work before all the players were there? Right? Now again, there isn't an answer to that question, there's a logic. And they're going to say things work differently then. Today the system works like this, then the system works differently. But then again, we've gone back to speculation. Right? Now, if you're going to work with the principles that everything has to have happened like that, then you're going to have to speculate all these stages in order to get there. The point isn't to try and disprove it, because uh, we've gone, we, we're arguing 
logic against logic. I think like this, you think like that. Right? The Nakoda is, if this was absolutely proven in science, then there would be nothing to say. Right? Like we said, when we talk about the age of the universe, we're not arguing the point. That's, I think, pretty clear that Hashem has to have built it the way it was because there's no way to explain it otherwise. But over here, we're using a lot of, uh, so to speak, uh, as far as added to the science, the scientific knowledge in order to make the system make sense. And that we don't have to accept. At least we can, we can challenge that. We can challenge that. We can ask questions. Is that, that doesn't have to be that way. You've, you've, you've used the narrative to explain the facts, but the facts aren't conclusive. Okay, so that's, so that's uh, on that point. Now, there's two more points. The one point is, that's, that's as far as we saw the, mac, the macroevolution factor. Can species change with each other? Regarding the time factor, that they find that they want to date things and find things which fossilize over whatever, turn into oil, whatever it's going to be, or ice cracks, or how long it takes to form. Again, that goes back to what we said last time. When it's, they go to the age of the universe, because the Prophet created it to be a certain way. It doesn't affect us. Like Hashem created the first tree as a tree. It's not like Hashem took 140 years for it to get to its size now. That's what Hashem wanted it to be. We don't have a problem with age. So we have the, so we have the age factor, we have the macro evolution factor. And then the last, uh, the last point, the last point, and that is, <coughs> that is the, the, and this is really, uh, again, if you're going to look for, basically, let's say it like this, if it, someone would argue the point that there's absolutely clear scientific proof to something, and you want to say something which I have to believe happened, which I don't have proof to. So then, you know, I would rather believe something I can prove than something I have to believe in. When you come to the, the evolution explanation, there are a number of things you're going to have to believe also, which don't look logical, but again, in order to make the system work, you're going to have to believe it. So, for example, let's talk about geology. Geology is, is dating rocks. Right? They have different stages of development, and you're going to see that in different layers of rocks. And we want that the previous, the early rocks, the Cambrian rocks, the pre-Cambrian rocks at the bottom, and you want the more recent rocks at the top because the rock layers should be laid in order. But the problem is there are big parts, like we said last time, in the world where the rock layers are not in order. So then the geology has made a term for this. They say the rocks are overlaid, which means they're basically, you know, it's a fancy way of saying turned upside down. How do you do that? How do you turn a mountain range upside down? Now, there isn't a good explanation. It's going to have to be something you believe happened somehow, like shifting plates of the world or ice ages or whatever you want to say, we don't know about these things, you have to believe in them. Right? Now, once again, so then you've gone back to belief against belief. You've got no right these things ever happened. Your theory doesn't work unless you believe there were some very strange things which happened somewhere in the world, which uh, would do things which doesn't look to us very logical. So anyway, you've gone back to the point of believing. Okay? So that's the case. You've got no, you've got no let's say, scientific objective to say that this is a more... Uh, provable explanation in the session created the world. Now, what's the, what would be the time against that? If you're talking not, not people's personal bias, science, and that is, that's not something which is scientifically provable. Right? You, can't, you can't deal with a non-physical element and prove it scientifically or not. That's okay. We don't need to prove it scientifically. Right? Once, you, once you can't prove against it, so then, like I said, just like you want to claim Yes, this is what happens. We can't explain all the steps, but we have. To, we will believe that this is the narrative. The facts don't always seem to bear this out, but we're going to believe that there are some major changes which we don't know of, but we'll have to put into the story. Okay, so that's what we're going to. Then I'd rather look at Hashem. 
it's much easier to say if you're prepared to accept things which you can't prove, I accept it. The world's created. The one's world's created, I don't need all the terutsin. Because once you come to a creator, then you can create it the way he wants. And therefore, every question you're going to have on a system which you have to explain without the creator, but once the creator's in the picture, it makes everything very straightforward. That's the way he created it. Now again, science can't accept that because it's dealing with something which they can't prove or disprove. Right? So they're going to have to find explanations which they also can't prove or disprove, but at least it will work with uh, the scientific method, which is we can prove some things and try to extrapolate that. But once we're not down to that, then we have a very simple matter. And we're going to say that, look, if Luyitsa is able to prove against Torah, we'd have to listen to the proof. But at the end of the day, you haven't done that. You've just given us the explanation against the Torah. So we'll have an explanation with the Torah. And once you have an explanation with the Torah, then everything is answered. Because what are you talking about? The intelligent design. You're talking about a bird who wants to, who wants to be things a certain way. So you can work with things a certain way.